0: Welcome to Sardisms, where we take great ideas and bring them together to have great conversations. Today, we have Douglas Hamadishi, who has recently started his own company called Centric Health Media. Douglas has an extensive background as a mental health clinician, as well as being a Chief Clinical Information Officer, also known as CCIO, and realizes that digital media will and has played a large role in disseminating information throughout healthcare. Welcome, Douglas. Just tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to where you are now.
1: Your origin story. Yes.
2: We like origin stories, don't we? Um, we do. Yeah, yeah, my path was never linear in in terms of growing up, I never knew I was going to go into the field. I mean, now I had no visual at all. I remember, in fact, I used to like the smell of tarmac and I wanted to be a road digger. And my dad was like, smack me around the ears and no no son of mine is going to be mending road, right? But I love it. So anyway, I went to engineering, Megatron engineering as my degree. I enjoyed that, but I really liked the the fact that I was able to engage with people and teach them how to use new technologies, Mm -hmm. Whether it's mechanical, electrical, computer stuff, it was the teaching element of it and the changing and transforming the way people do things and experience life. And through that, I was involved in a budding system for inner city kids that were in gangs and had no father role. So I was like a father figure to like six kids and they would come see me at my workplace. So I was starting to gain and also getting a bit gray and I was starting to think, how can I give back to these kids? Because... Some of them having problems that are all beyond the financial issues, social issues, they like mental issues as well. So Where was this? Oh, this was in Croydon. So I was looking after kids that was coming from Peckham, Lambeth, Brixton. They'll come see me in my office and literally they'll have the hallmarks of being raised in the streets, you no know, father figure. So cultural norms such as making everybody in the office or in your team a cup of tea they will view it as disrespectful, like, what do you mean? Make people a cup of tea and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. You know, then showing them that you can achieve a level of success in your life, irrespective of your colour, irrespective of your gender, if you just apply yourself and be able to differentiate true friends to the ones that just happen to be on your estate right. because there's a lot of loyalty when you grow up in a certain neighborhood and sometimes people who you deem as your closest friends are not your friends. They just by chance that happen to be your neighbor mm. and then being able to form more healthier networks as they grow and then feed off that to propel themselves forward. So a lot of them are very, very intelligent, supremely intelligent. It's just the card that they were dealt with was was really raw. Um, so it's through that work, I wanted to go into psychology. Mm-hmm. So I remember having a conversation with my boss and saying, um, I'm going to leave. <laughs> I'm going to study psychology. <laughs> They're like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> You're not serious, right? Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. A major pay cut. You know, my partner at the time, she was mortified, but then that's where my passion was pushing me. Mm. So when I went to study psychology, I dropped out the first year because lo and behold, at that time, not now, and I need to put that out, at that time, many moons ago, it was very much heavily focused on diagnosing people.
0: Mm.
2: So labels. So if you grow up as a label yourself, that's the worst thing. For me, that's the worst thing I can go and You're not your label. Right. I like the hands-on approach the nurses were doing in the mental health ward. So I went into mental health nursing. CAMS as child and adolescent mental health nursing. Through that, I qualified as a mental health nurse and then medical records were, were becoming digitized. The trust I was working for, which was Southwest London St. George's Trust, were introducing Rio, which is a clinical record system. And for, it's a major shift from paper to electronic. Mm-hmm. Uh, then my mechatronic degree starts to kick in. So I start working with the IMT department as a clinical lead for Rio, helping people um, train develop, test, all of those things from the ground up while still working as a clinician. I was doing the two. So I was struggling in both camps. My ward manager at the time didn't know what the hell I was doing. Saying all this IT stuff does not help patient care. Mm. But this we are right at the early phases of that. Um, so, I had to really fight fight my corner. So, I had a job share, done everything, even two full time jobs working the two. So, as I was developing my skill set as a, as a nurse, going into managerial stuff clinically, I was also going up in terms of my informatics career. So, I had to do the two together going up like that. So, that's why now I'm a CCIO because I married the two worlds together. Now, my skill set makes sense. But mm. as I was living in it and experiencing it, a lot of people would have said, well, what the hell, what does that mean, what are you doing? But now we, everyone takes for granted that go see a GP, he's typing away or she's typing on the computer system. You know, your records are held digitally, you know, mm-hmm. you take for granted even your smartwatch. But this comes from a richness of people that have an understanding of both the clinical and the technology and how to implement it.
1: Right. I, I appreciate that hybrid approach that you sometimes see where, where, where you've got sort of two Different communities that perhaps don't realise. So it might be a care community and a digital community, and they don't quite appreciate the the attributes they've got to bring to the other side. Uh, I grew up in a family that ran a graphic design company, and so I've been surrounded by artists and creative types and cartoonists all my life. And yet, my myself and my brother were trained as engineers. My dad, my dad's an engineer, um, and so I've seen a hybrid family and how, you know, it's, it's quite nice to see how it meshes together sometimes and you, you end up with with something beautiful by linking very different skill sets together. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Can you tell us a little bit of some challenges that you've had to face as CCIO?
2: There have been tons of challenges. <laughs> and, and I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. There were, there were tons of challenges and it's all these ongoing challenges. I think, first of all, let's work with the strengths and the, the solutions and some of the benefits first, then go backwards. I think we right now are, are going through a pandemic of COVID
0: mm-hmm. and
2: that has raised a lot of opportunities that were once challenges within informatics. Um, the, one of the major ones was around information governance in terms of virtual meetings. Now, that's a given. Your GP is not going to see you if it can have a virtual consultation. Right. For the last 10 years, that's been like the one of the major challenges in informatics. How can mm. we have these consultations? You had professional bodies holding on to the old ways of working. But because I've got obviously this, this this approach in terms of technology, growing, growing up watching Star Trek and watching yeah. <laughs> conference calls, <Yeah. laughs> cast out through the galaxies in the 60s, 70s, whatever that was, the early days. And thinking, why can't we do that now? So it really kept me buoyant and upbeat, knowing that one day all it requires is a compelling event mm-hmm. to drive forward that technology. And we're seeing now a plethora, even this podcast that we're doing, mm-hmm. we're not together um, physically, it's a virtual meeting. And if it wasn't for the COVID pandemic, who knows, we might not have been having this conversation. So there's opportunities that you come from, challenges, challenges in pertaining to um, my race, I've been there um, because... Not many black CIOs. I say that <laughs> as, as a statement of fact. There's not right. many. Yeah. So just the fact that there's not many introduces its own challenges in mm-hmm. itself in terms of getting over the line, whether it's a job interview scenario or whether it's just being able to clearly articulate your point of view to people. So mm-hmm. that's the journey in itself. And again, I've used it both to my strength. And at times I've needed um, support her. You have a fantastic coach, I've got a fantastic mentor, and she is brilliant. And every time I come to her with like, ah, things are going wrong <laughs> and you know, they don't like me and all that kind of stuff, she just, you know, she has this way. And I'm terrified of it as well. Always get a mentor or coach <laughs> it helps. And you're terrified of it. It, it. it helps you. So yeah. there's no way you can run away. Like if you tell me or oh, we agree I've got to do a piece of work, whatever, if I haven't done it, I would not be on that call mm-hmm. because it would just I'll just be torn apart. So that being said, I've had a lot of coaching, I've a lot of mentorship to get me to where I am today. And I wouldn't be here with, without that level of support. Mm. Challenges in terms of the whole Technology meeting patient empowerment. I'm a firm believer that technology should not only just enable people, but it should empower people. You know, not not enable, empower, but ultimately liberate people from whatever process that they were doing before that is no longer deemed needed. And you see it not just in health, IT, informatics. You see it across the board in retail. You see it in aviation. You see it. Pick any industry. There are people right now who are doing jobs that they know deep down. Is obsolete mm. but because there's no alternative in terms of technology or or people being creative in around the human resourcing and reallocation of of duties they're stuck doing something that's not adding true value so I'm all about the value proposition how well are we using the clinical staff that we have to embrace the technologies and to embrace the needs of the patients because the patients now they're coming to a consultation room ready done their google research they've really done it it's yeah. not the early days where you can do a search on Google, for example, and you get a response that is very questionable. Mm-hmm. The analytics, the AI that drives Google now is very, very advanced. So you're literally on par. There's a parity now between the patient and the clinician that has never been there before. Mm. Not Never been there before. And at times the patient actually has more ability because first and foremost, they're the experts of their condition whether it's mental or physical they're the one living it right the clinician is the one interpreting it so being able to create an environment where clinicians feel comfortable if with it with empowering a patient but sometimes they will feel de-skilled by the patient think that thinks they know too much and are we trying to provide care in this regimented system but it's not about that. It's about being able to um, support them through that transition and see where there's new opportunities to engage. Because now I, I trained as a clinician, as a very much treatment focused clinician. I'm mm-hmm. here to provide treatment, but I'm here more as a as a guide. You know, the mm-hmm. analogy we use is something like say, Star Wars and you've got your Obi Wan Kenobi yeah. or Yoda, we're just a guide. You know, you're the ones with the talent. You're the ones that has the 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 um the challenge. You live and breathe your challenge. We're just here to guide you through the resources that are available within the medical field, the community field, to help you get better and move on. Out of that comes again challenges in terms of software companies not understanding the dynamic that's mm-hmm. actually happening on the ground and still wanting to develop solutions that keep people in servitude, you know, Um, so that's where I'm constantly fighting and constantly pushing the boundaries and say, what is actually possible? Can you give this back? Mm. And and also taking a look at at what point are we engaging clinicians, clinical staff in the transformational programs? Because too many of these programs are are labeled transformation, but there's no transformation. All what's happening is this change. Mm. There's no transformation. If I have to go to my GP and still sit down, wait for appointment, you cannot really tell me that there's been transform, real transformation in that process. Transformation for me is the, obviously the Uber. Whoever knows the example, you know where the taxi is coming. You know who the driver is. You you, you get out of your house when it's still getting wet, waiting. Yeah? yeah, yeah. It's all seamless. That's the transformation in terms of the taxi and ferrying industry. Yeah. In health, there's a lot of change. There's not a lot of transformation because fundamentally the people within that field, even in my in my um, skill set, CIOs, CNIOs, digital transformation needs that are not understanding what transformation is. Mm. They're not fully, they're not going full throttle, either because they want to protect their own career or they they're too have fears and um, concerns about what the new technology brings, brings. So if they are in that situation themselves, what more for the people that are going to be using their technology? If you work for a software company and you struggle to introduce new tech within your own software company, within your own team. I've had conversations where even Microsoft Teams in the early days, the, the uproar within a tech company for introducing Teams was rife. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, do you know your technology company? you know that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we can't get over this hurdle. Mm. What more for the consumer? And now we call them expert health consumers because they're empowered. They're not just patients, they're expert health consumers Mm -hmm. so um yeah there are times we can talk all day about about challenges
1: what would you say the difference between transformation and change
2: i've got a little boy in the background you might hear him crying um i was reading to him the hungry caterpillar yeah Yeah. that is transformation Mm -hmm. at no point is the caterpillar resembling its final state after a metamorphosis into a butterfly There's a complete fundamental difference. That which was now, um, was ground to the floor, crawling, Mm -hmm. is now airborne. That's transformation. I don't see a lot of that. So these are real, a word of mine I really like is radical. I love the word. It's just being brutalized by the media in terms of terrorism, all that kind of stuff. But if you look at real radicalization... Radicalism. This is what we need to to bring around transformation, a fundamental shift in the way that we view whatever we're doing. Because as the second you hold on to a principle, of what you did before, like that, if the butterfly still wanted to crawl, it wouldn't be transforming. It would have the capability to fly, mm-hmm. right? But it would still crawl, right? And we're seeing that with technology, we've got the ability to go a lot further than what we are doing. But we are not letting go of old, antiquated processes, Mm -hmm. you know. We're still Mm -hmm. translating paper processes electronically Mm. because that's what we have to do.
1: I mean, it's difficult not to be led by your clients to create the solutions that they imagine will solve their problems. But there is a tendency to try and create technology that just essentially assists existing processes rather than change those fundamental processes themselves. And that, that's always a bit of a battle for us. We had Professor Peter McGraw, who's a uh, professor of humor. I'm mm-hmm. not quite sure what his professional title <laughs> is. His fantastic book, Stick to Business. Mm-hmm. One of the ideas that he comes up with to, for transformation and innovation in companies is to do the reversal, which is the thing that comedians do, which is to, is to completely flip an idea on its head and say, what is the opposite of what you should do? Uh, you know, they, There's comedy potential there what is the opposite of every transformation you know yeah. what what's the opposite of a sluggish caterpillar creature on the ground where the opposite is this light thing that that's not sluggish and is beautiful and flaps its, its wings it, you know those those things couldn't be more different mm. so what what tools and techniques do you think there are to to come up with transformation to get yourself out of the bound of how you exist, you know, your current existence and the world that sort of traps you with, this is how it is. What, what tools can we use to?
2: Sure. that that's a, that. That, that's a big question. And that was not. <laughs> yeah, a I know. I did more. tell you, I'm so sorry. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I've gone off script. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, don't we, you, I, I was going to say, Douglas, like, you know, this is a very free-form podcast yeah, and we're going to be a complete That's veto of it.
2: Yeah. Well, keep everything. Um, my, my business partner, Ben, will, will testify to this. We keep everything. The yeah. best stuff is the stuff that we might not fully have formed in our head, but it's a conscious stream of thought. But what you said there, the veto, is one of the fundamental tools that you need to help bring about change empower people to, first of all to know that they can say no and stop at any time a lot of times we do roll out projects and it's like literally it's a conveyor belt hmm. we started so we'll finish at no point is there in the project plan place where you can say stop veto yeah we only roll back if we try to implement um an update that's gone wrong that doesn't make much sense <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me at all on top of that there's whole this whole thing about understanding the process of change the humanistic side of change through reading i'm a firm believer in maslow's hierarchy of needs as we go as we grow food clothing shelter and then actually ultimately going to actualization this is what every person wants and being able to actualize um, through whatever technology that you want to bring about is our job in informatics to help them bridge that gap to let them know that okay fine if you want to become the best clinician you want to be the mother trees of care yeah in the 20 20 21 22 whatever it is you need this piece of tech this will help you doing this way you you reach that level there's there's not a lot of that going on and i think people traditionally sell with a sell technology into health with a very 80s americana way of selling mm. Yeah, or or a Del Boy car dealership way of selling. Yeah, mm-hmm. you need this cortina. Yeah, with the fuzzy dice because it'll make you look cool. And or or the cold calling, rampant cold calling numbers game to get your sales done. And say, so, look, if I you call a thousand people, just a little percentages, we can we can grind them out in terms and, and turn them into qualified leads and then sell. I think that needs to change. That approach needs to change. Uh, there need to be real experts. We need to get more clinicians involved. expose like with, with the veto, which I think is excellent, also it creates another way of framing what you're doing to to teach change. And the way I look at it is I look for no's. And the and the veto is a no, but you can only negotiate from when someone has told you no, because you know that's the limit. And too many times we have changed that is stuck because we assume in a meeting somebody says yes mm. and i think we're too nice there i was told i was taught there are three types of yeses due to conditioning we just hear the word yes and we assume That yes actually means that um, go ahead with whatever implementation you're doing. Go ahead with going, I'm speaking to the nurses. Go ahead and speaking with the patient groups. As a society, we've used the word yes and abused it way, way too much. So Mm. we've got, yes, that's a complimentary, that's just uh, like nodding your head. I get what you're saying, yes. But in your head, you're thinking this guy, this girl, she's a complete and utter, you know, we do it just to be, to be like, yes, mm, yes, yes.
1: It's doing, You've yes. Got me worrying about agreeing <laughs> now. I'm literally yes. nodding. Yes, uh, this is the
2: complimentary yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, there's that one. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, then there's the binary yes, which is just a confirmation yes. Like, is it cold outside? Yes or no? Yes. Mm, right. If you have the right people that ask um, calibrated questions, you get more open dialogue as you're doing to ask questions that we spark conversations too often in this field the questions only require confirmation yes Mm. no exploratory yes so uh, the yes that we're supposed to be looking for is a commitment yes a yes that says okay we're going to go forward and our success criteria is that our milestones is going to be this this is how we're going to measure our performance this is when we want you to start that is the type of yes because it comes with a whole raft of different things that you can use to help drive your transformation. It exposes an organization's pain points. It exposes um, their success criteria. It exposes everything that you can use to your benefit. That sort of yes. So, it's these techniques are found in lots of books. It's the things that I take, I do day in day day in day out with patients. This is what I do. This I've, I am not a CEO. That's not still a clinician. Mm. I was still providing counselling support on crisis line just on Sunday.
1: Are you, are you still working as a mental health nurse? Or Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: I think that there is very, very important. And that also is another challenge with when you work for software companies for them to appreciate that you add value because you're on the post. You know exactly what's happening clinically. There's no point. I don't see any value in recruiting retired doctors. This whole patient movement moves so, so quickly Even terminology has changed. And when you go to um, speak to clinicians, they can sniff you out that you don't Mm. know what you're talking about. You're using old frameworks to Mm. just describe what's going on. You don't actually know what's happening. I've worked on COVID wards. I've worked on all these things to this day whilst talking about how can we bring around technology to um, change um, the lives of citizens. You know, so I know what it's about. And that knowing is different to knowing about something. Mm. And we've got too many people that know about things but don't have a knowing born out of real concrete experience on the ground, seeing the patient face-to-face, interacting with carers, understanding how the technology is working or not working. You have too few of those, but they hold the title of um, chief. (laughs) Chief of what? What do you know? Mm. Right. (laughs) So, yeah, that's where I'm. So in terms of my approach as well, uh, I like to... Ruffle the feathers, because that's where you see the real stuff comes out. Because if you're too nice, this creates problems further upstream. That's all what happens. If someone says to you, yes, let's go ahead. And then you wonder why post-deployment, the uptake now has gone downhill. Because maybe they were they were too nice to you mm. in the mm-hmm. beginning. You know, they gave you a confirmation, yes. Or they gave you a courtesy, yes. You know, but they didn't give you the commitment, yes.
0: Mm.
1: You You mentioned the software companies have a tendency to sort of sit outside the system that they're serving and that they the, you need to kind of be engaged directly engaged in what's happening on the ground and we we hear this a lot we this is going to sound like a sales pitch here and uh, I'm sure you I'm sure you're not in the market to buy a medical revalidation system
0: <laughs> so,
1: <a> <laughs> so I'm not pitching it to you our approach to our business has always been about partnership. We were born out of partnership and it's actually quite hard for us to find trusts and services that we can supply to who are willing to engage in, in that partnership because they, we're going to be speaking to um, Rory Sutherland who's um, very much into beh- behavioral economics um, about, he's got lots to say on procurement and procurement and procurement. In the NHS and that's going to be the subject of our conversation. But one of the things that is clear to me having been in this business for you know nearly 15 years is that the procurement process doesn't select for the sort of companies that will do that partnership. It, it, one of the brilliant quotes that, that grabbed my attention to Rory Sutherland, he said, there's no point doing a favour for an amnesiac. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, if I'm you, like you go up. in work, if we if we as a company come and work with you in, you know, Southwest London and St. George's, or, you know, we're doing a lot of work with South London and Maudsley at the moment. And um, that investment is a huge investment of our time. Um, we, we're really putting in the effort to understand them, to understand their team, to See what they're about, actually see what they're doing. we we've we've got a staff member seconded to South London and Maudsley at the moment to to literally live in their in their offices, in their shoes, in their life, to see what what struggles they're facing. Mm-hmm. But the to me, one of the big problems we face is that the selection process, I'm a big fan of Darwinian sort of theories of of why things are the way they are the selection process for those technology companies, but not just technology companies, all kinds of service providers, the selection process doesn't select for the very thing that you're talking about, which is the, the partnership. Because when, when you, when it actually comes to it, when the rubber hits the road and you're selecting, you know, who to work with, who to partner with the actual, you know, good customer service, good partnership. These people have got a good reputation, you know, that, you're selling to an amnesiac. You're selling to an organization that's got no organizational memory of what this person did in the past or what they're doing in the future or how they're partnering in the present. All of of that value goes out the window.
2: All I I will say is I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you.
1: That's it. Podcast (laughs) over.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I know. I totally, totally agree with you. The question is this, what do you do about it? Mm. That's the fundamental question. Every artist, musician who goes on X Factor or whatever it is, knows that their process that they're going to go through, no matter how supremely talented they are, the one that wins is not normally the one that has the most talent. Right. You know that. You know, you watch all the heats thinking, oh, that's the voice. That's yeah. the one. And they don't even make it to the final. They can, we're left with this. Yeah. Now, uh, we didn't create the groundwork, um, the, the, the panacea, of these frameworks. It's created by people that are so above our pay grade. So how can we make noise for them to change their way of, of doing things? The way you can do that is you, you are masters master of your own narrative. And sometimes you need to, as you using your own word, flip it. Instead of trying to break into a framework, why don't you get the framework to come to you? Why don't you get organizations to be compelled to come to you? Why don't you take a look at how your financial models work? In terms of if you fly low enough or have, say, software-as-a-service type proposition, it doesn't peak capital spend. So it doesn't have to go on a, on a particular framework. There, there are things that we can do, creative things that we can do to get attention, you know. And that is why I'm a firm believer, and this is why I started um, Centric Health Media with um, Ben Weber. It's because for every company, there's a very deep-rooted challenge that they're trying to overcome, whether it's a framework, whether it is undoing bad reputation, whether it's getting into the health sector, there's there, there, there are tons of, tons of things, but you also are authors of your own narrative. So if you go on to say, for example, LinkedIn, are you running campaigns that support your values, your principles in around, um, introducing quality around, um, revalidation clinically? What's the narrative? Because it is hard to sexy up revalidation. I had to do my clinical revalid- <laughs> revalidation last year, and I'm just like I avoided it. I avoided those emails like the plague. I was like, oh no. Then when it came to the point where you cannot practice unless you revalidated, okay. I was like, okay, who's gonna use the call? Who's gonna mark my work? I, you see, so the, so you know, there's there's something there that you can do. If somebody came to me and said, Douglas, we take the pain away from you. Mm. We know how you feel. You're stressed. You're anxious. And you're assuming the ostrich position. We can see you. You're hiding your head in the sand. We can see you. <laughs> Just reach out. We take the head pain away from you. I probably would have opened that email and had a conversation.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. yeah,
2: Because I know you're addressing my pain point. Um, the framework is a cold Leviathan. It is what it is. Yeah, It requires things such as um, standards. It requires all these things for it to operate. But at the end of the day, when you partner with a trust, the trust is engaging in a relationship with you as an organization. And how do you build relationships? You know, you you can build relationships by putting out content regular content that supports these things and it's not the framework coming to you it's the trust coming direct to you they'll will, they will make the the assertion to whoever is the one pulling the um purse strings we want that company
1: i think that's what we're doing with these these podcasts and yeah. that's you know we're reaching out to like-minded people and we're trying to build that that story and that interest in the world outside. Like you say, revalidation is not the most exciting thing in the world. But we've got a a suite of products, we've got a a mission, we've got a very different attitude as a company. And one of the reasons we're doing these podcasts is to try and convey that to a wider community and try and get that out there. We're doing it. Yeah, we're we're doing it. But I do I do feel like, you know, there's a stop where it's really hard to Yes. If, if, if we're living in an ocean, we're mm-hmm. unwilling to adapt to the environment in which we exist. Yeah, we can survive, but it's really painful and it's really hard to survive in an in a inhospitable environment. And we could change things. You could flip it, as you say, but to flip it, we'd have to drain the ocean.
2: <laughs> uh, you know, there's one, there's one. if you take a look at, um, and I totally get where you're coming from because I hear it. From lots of software companies, I've experienced it working in a software company myself. So I know exactly where you're coming from, and that that, that needs to be acknowledged. There's the, the three letters ABC model I use. Yeah, one mm-hmm. is you have to remain active in this space. Yeah, and active means movement. These are verbs. You got to be doing things. Yeah, to shake up the system constantly, constantly. This um. By that, again, with content, like what you're doing, the podcasting, excellent. That's brilliant. How, 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 how further can you do it? As you start, to, maybe you get to 100 podcasts, you start looking at the um, analytics. Mm-hmm. And, mm, maybe I can chop it to like three-minute podcasts. Mm-hmm. So I hit mm-hmm. people straight away. Maybe I can do video programs as well to complement that for those who are people visual. Maybe I need to just, you know, keep on refining the model because we're in an in, in environment now that is unprecedented. COVID has opened up the, the pipe of connectivity, constantly open. If you looked at the link, LinkedIn say analytics before, they'll tell you, if you want to post it, post something on LinkedIn, post it at, say, six, seven o'clock in the morning and blah, 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 blah. Now everyone's online. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing? You see, you cannot change the, the physical environment, but you can change the, the hearts and minds of people using various techniques. Storytelling. As what, you, as, as what we're doing as we're sharing these um, stories together, these are nice things. This is, what, this, this is what connects people. The technology will eventually catch up with the framework or the framework will eventually be deemed as, do you know what? COVID made the government take ma- major, um, major U-turns <laughs> in the way they procure things. So how do you how do you bring about a compelling event? How? If we go back 30 years ago, 30 years ago, over 50 years ago, you wouldn't be able to have a conversation with somebody like me. You wouldn't. Mm-hmm. It'd would be detrimental to your career. <laughs> <laughs> because great people articulated their vision, whether yeah. they were in Alabama, India, Australia, it doesn't matter. The great people understood and articulated their vision. They created a movement. You know, mm. it's about community, and that's what digital enables you to do: create a community of like-minded people. If you're looking for empirical evidence. If you're looking for that um, qualitative data to give to somebody that like, likes numbers, you might not find it because mm. you're at the cusp of something new, <laughs> innovative. Mm. There's no data to back it up. Does that stop you from doing the right thing? You know, if, you're, if you truly believe that you're offering value in this space, you're duty bound. It's incumbent on you to keep pushing through high water and whatnot. You know, so the B the is staying buoyant. As you talked about the water energy, you gotta be buoyant. Gotta be like that thing bouncing in the water. Boom, 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 boing, boom. Boing, boing, boing. Mm-hmm. Gotta be point. <laughs> yeah? You have to. <laughs> you yeah. can't say the 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 boy cannot sink. It's just bobbling along. But it's always there. Because at the end of the day, trust will procure. And understanding the cycles of procurement is very, very important. But the cycles of procurement also are affected by other factors such as Pandemics, you know, allocation for say delayed de- transfer of care and whatnot. So, there are other things that impact on the procurement cycle. You, some people say, yeah, go to market around February, March because it's going to be the new financial year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's one way of looking at it, but there's also compelling reasons, creating a compelling event or supporting a compelling event or bringing to light something that's already happening. Say, if you don't do this, do you know this is going to happen? Uh, we can help alleviate that from you by doing this. So it's it's, it's still storytelling. And mm. then the C, A, B, C, the C part is the clarity. Revalidation is a hard word to even to spell, to pronounce and to understand. So how can you make that clear? <laughs> you know, how? That's your job. That's your job. That's your challenge. To understand how people taking information, it's a it's an awkward word. <laughs> it's just an awkward mm. word, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't be doing it. It doesn't mean that it's unconquer it's unconquerable. Is that a word today? It is. Is now.
1: It, is now. <laughs> it is now. It is now. It
2: is <laughs> now. It is now. The word unsurmountable, I think mm. I was looking for, and I think it is. I think everything that we do. These are just look at look at as the human species. If you talk about Darwinism, and if you were to I was a big fan of Tim Peake, um, the, the British astronaut, right? Mm, yeah. And as he was in the space station orbiting the Earth. He speaks of every time the space station was over where he grew up, or over England, he would say, that's home, pointing to British, um, British owl. Um, he was there, I think, almost six months or even more. I'm not too sure. But it got to the point that he started identifying continents more as I'm part of Europe, <laughs> you see. yeah. When they had to um, touch down, on the way down, he just literally said, put me anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> this is my home.
0: Yeah. 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 yeah.
2: So, so there's something about expanding your problem, your challenge. Where has mm-hmm. it been done before? The revalidation is something that's done in Canada. They do revalidation, parts of Europe as well. Finding other people, other store, other other um, territories that are going through the similar struggles, of youth and create that groundswell. It can be overcome. There, there are far more serious things that human beings have overcome from race, gender, um, disabilities. These are real things. If you, I, the other day, I was like, um, waiting for a bus, and I didn't even know how to catch a bus because I drive everywhere. I didn't know how. To, I needed to get a thing called an Oyster card. I didn't have an Oyster card, right? But yeah. there was somebody there that was in a wheelchair. And in my head, I am thinking, do buses even, uh, how? Uh, last time I caught a bus properly in London was like probably eight years ago, eight, eight or nine years ago, a long time. But the bus pulled up, the, the ramp came down, the guy got in onto the bus and I was sent to the shop to get Oyster card. I was sent to the shop to get Oyster card because that day I didn't come with my debit card because I could have tapped. I didn't know these things. Mm. So there's something about, the people on, who are dealing with far more serious things, but they're overcoming it through techniques, lobbying, telling their stories. Or oh, we would have never, I would, that bus with the, the ramp would never have been there. Somebody that's a transgender would never be in, in, in parliament. Somebody, you know, you've got to, you've got to um, find strength in those stories who are up against real, real massive um, systems that are set up to keep them down. It's
1: very humbling. <laughs> well, I describe our company sometimes as a, a slow zombie company. Did you like zombie films?
2: I don't like them, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that, the, the, the scariest thing I've watched is Michael Jackson thriller, and I'm um, okay. traumatized. Right?
0: <laughs> that is traumatic. Yeah.
1: So I was chatting. My my uncle's a massive zombie fan. You know, like the old Romero film zombies, are, you know, like the slow moving ones. And we got into this discussion of which one is actually the scariest uh, zombie because the new zombies, the ones that are in like 28 days later, they're all really fast or they're like mm-hmm. like chasing you down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he was making the argument as a as a connoisseur of zombies that the slow zombies are actually much more frightening. And the reason why is because they're just relentless. Like they're up against it. Like they get their arms chopped off and stuff. But the scary thing about a slow zombie is that you're hiding out in your house, you know, and they're going to get you. They're going to get you eventually that building. They're going to push. They're going to keep pushing on every door slowly. I'm
2: getting a visual. You need to stop.
1: You can't can't (laughs) run away from them. They're going to keep pushing. And that's what I feel like we are as a company. We're on a mission. We've got a principle, you know, we're, we're, there's a thing that we're trying to achieve, and we're just pushing every door constantly. And you can't kill us because we've just got a completely different motivation to basically everyone else in the market. And uh, you know that's our flip is that we, our aspiration for what the business will be and what 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 it's become, is so different to to everyone else's that it it means all of our incentives are all flipped you know, we, we, we're not, we're not chasing the the sale of the company. We're not chasing to build a company up and flog it on. We've got a completely different mentality for what we're trying to achieve. And as a result, we're slow zombie. We're just pushing it every door, you know, resisting that one's not working. That one's not working But like one. And then one just one just this one's got weak hinges and you're in you know and you're 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 off and you and you you yeah you don't get very far maybe but then you're on your next journey and you're you're searching every door inside the building i
2: think i think you make um an excellent point there's a book i read and i recommend this book as well it's like it's a good book because you can read in like two hours like less than two hours it's called zen of the zombie Right, I like you already, yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's a it's a superb book. I mean, it fo- follows through what you're talking about, and but it just adds another dimension to it. So if you're gonna flip, let's flip it fully, yeah, like in Pirates of mm. Let's flip it all the way around so the uh, the sun becomes the, in reverse, whatever it is, right? But let's flip it fully. You talk about the attributes of a zombie being relentless. Mm-hmm. Have you talked about the psychology of a zombie?
1: No. See, I'm going to add it.
2: <laughs> that is, that's why you need to read the book Zen of the Zombie. Because that talks about
1: the, <laughs> the
2: psychological side. Yeah, 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 it's an excellent book. It's, I love it. It talks about the mindset you got to have to be like a zombie. Because being realist comes from you actually having um, the mechanisms to absorb doubt, pushbacks. How are you keeping yourself buoyant, as I said, A, B, C? I mm-hmm. got For me to be where I am today Is because I've got coaches, mentors Keeping me going if they, if they were not there in my life And I also coach and mentor other people as well So you've got to put in place those mechanisms So you can literally walk through the door Lose an eye and it's okay Actually, it's okay Not, oh, vanity, I lost an eye, eye patch I don't want to now look like a, like a pirate It's not about that It's about, okay, it's collateral damage Who cares, move on mm-hmm. You see, so you have to protect yourself Emotionally, psychologically To be like a zombie Because being relentless and feeling the pain defeats the whole purpose. And also, you got to recognize that zombies are not just bound to human beings. Cats can be zombies, and they're fast. (laughs) (laughs) You won't find a a slow-moving cat zombie. No.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and it's gonna be me. Well, a cat, cat zombie yeah. really, really being a pet
0: cemetery, definitely. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mummy, the mummy and all
1: that. What's the zombie goal of Centric Health Media? Like mm. you, you, every like you said, every business has got a passion. Like it's got yeah. a pain point that it's like, ah, oh, that thing I need to resolve that thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you're driven. What drives you, Douglas? What is Centric Health Media? What are you hoping to achieve? It? What is the pain that you're trying to squash? A big question.
2: Yes, yeah, so it's a big question, um, but it comes from very humble beginnings. It comes from a place where you want to ensure that you're adding value into the health sector. You want to ensure that patients receive the best care. It comes right down to how you're affecting change for the betterment of society. It's a humanitarian Perspective. If you get your healthcare, if you can take care of the sick and the affirmed, and those people who are not fully able, it pays dividends in other aspects of your society. The fact that we are having had issues around PPE, the fact that we had issues around staffing levels, the fact that we've got issues around, are not enough funding means that we have to do more with what we've been given. Mm. And technology is the, the great vehicle to enable us to do a lot more than what we've envisaged. Right, so. With Centric Health is to enable companies such as yours and another comp- digital company and the NHS to come together and in the spirit of community, sharing best practice, articulating their stories clearly. If I see another white paper that's 25 pages long, I'm going to scream. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. But that is still happening to this day and nobody reads them. They just have to be there. Mm-hmm. We have an opportunity to really reframe and take the citizens on a journey with us. There's there's too much tech company and um, NHS. We're not taking the health consumers with us at all. Nicola Sturgeon said the word um, interoperability <laughs> the other day, and I was cheering. She said it so quickly, I was cheering. I wanted to take a picture of it and I was going to tweet it. I said, look, that's what we want. MPs to understand interoperability is a foundation for um, infrastructure. If our inter- interoperability the free flowing of, of data is not going to be there and there's going to be silos and we're going to continue working the way we are, blah, blah, blah. She mm-hmm. didn't say that, but she did, did say the word interoperability, which is good. So it's about um normalizing what we do in tech companies so that we can also use the, the momentum, the understanding of citizens to help drive that change. Because at the moment it's tech company versus NHS. Mm-hmm. NHS to no, actually, the missing ingredient here is a fully empowered citizen who goes to the MPs and say, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Because at the end of the day, we are here at the, at the mercy and, uh, and of the blessings of the patients. So that patients, there'll be none of these frameworks. Not, not, all the things we talk about will not exist, but <laughs> they're not involved enough. And I've seen too much poor messaging I've seen companies waste hundreds of thousands, I mean, hundreds of thousands on inappropriate messaging that doesn't cut through the mustard. Um, big bang going with the slogan. You cannot back it up because it's a point in time slogan. You, you've, uh, this is for us, Centric Health, it's my life's work. I've been in health now for 18 years. Everything now, when I reflect back on my career, has a somewhat health component to it. So I want to continue that journey and just enable um, companies and NHS to have better conversations, better engagement with the um, health consumer. So that is it in, in, in a nutshell. And one mm. of the key, the unique things of our, our organization is, we offer our services free to the NHS.
0: Mm.
2: It's completely free. We don't charge them for the work that we do. The cost only comes from private companies that want to penetrate and want to offer value into the NHS. So you're giving NHS the ability to now be able to respond, to be more agile, because they're busy dealing with pandemics and patient care. And sometimes even their media departments are not fully versed with the fast moving world of digital media. It's very fast moving. Analytics and all that kind of stuff changes literally daily, weekly. There's always something that you've got to be privy to. But if you speak to any CEO, any trust level executive, they'll say, how can we get our messages out there more? How can we get more likes? Because they're getting pressure even from their young children or their grown-up. The kids go home and they'll say, look, I sent this tweet and I got like 2,000 likes. Then you look on the trust, our own tweet, it's got like 59 or something silly like that. And they're thinking, how can we make this work? Well, the techniques and mastering that domain It's so, so important because that is where a lot of the new decision making is going to be taking place. The influencers are not going to be now the big monolithic companies that do one message per year and everyone listens. Their technology is going rampant now. People can build a solution in less than six months from scratch with with relatively little money. Relatively little money now. It's not like before when a trust can say, our company can say, look, we invested... Two million R&D for this piece of kit. It's not the case now. It's not the case now. You know, one phone call. One phone call, you can be engaging with people in Romania, in Bulgaria, in in India, Pakistan, you know, all around the world, you know, to build your software. So it's about making sure that as costs are going down, we we are seizing the opportunity to make better content accessible for everybody because the, the internet now is going through a maturing phase. The COVID has triggered that. It's triggered that in the, in the most ginormous way. It's triggered that tipping point. Now, everyone is online. What else can you do? You're at home anyway. You know, before you, you go online maybe for one hour as you commute, if you're on the train, whatever the case would be. Now it's on all the time in the background. You're going back and forth between your Twitter and LinkedIn all day long. Ask yourself, is there content there sufficiently Grasping your attention, or are you now getting bored of it? So the, um, that's in a nutshell. Um, so we do what so a lot of small, medium, enterprise companies who don't have large budget. What we do, we have what's called innovation days, where we have four locations around. Um, obviously this is this is pre COVID and now post COVID, we've got to have to um review some of those locations. But again, we've got four locations that are purpose built. Um, uh, companies can go there and record, get all their content done in that day. Our slots and then leave, knowing that okay, I've got enough content that I can slice and dice for the next four weeks yeah you know that's th- great. these are things that we are, we are doing at centric health that's new that's fresh and that's in keeping with the sophistication of the uk's health economy because we're not America America we cannot just cold call your way to the top it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way you get, you've got level one level two level five breathing dragon um, gatekeeper that is the, the, their primary job is to say no. And mean no. you cannot get through that gateway <laughs> at all. So, yeah. So, why, why try and get, why, why, why try and get or go through those hurdles? Forget the hurdle. Why don't you let the person come to you? Mm. Because you've, you've asked yourself when you've looked on Twitter, when you looked on LinkedIn, which piece of content have you actually clicked into for more information? Yourself. Term, you've done it yourself. You, you've gone there. Instead of uh, how can you penetrate the framework? The framework can come to you as you have gone to content yourself of your own volition. Nobody has strangled you, no one has coerced you. Something has grabbed your attention and you wanted more on Twitter, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. That's what we're talking about. Creating that type of content, um, targeted, unmissable content with brands, NHS and other organizations. So that's in a in a very that's not really elevated pitch, isn't it? That's like a, a
1: walk. Yeah, a bus ride pitch. <laughs> bus right, I
0: like that. If there's one thing our listeners should know, what would that be?
2: In terms of uh, of Centric Health is that we're there for you. We understand the pain that you're going through and we have a solution that is best fit to help you get your message across there in the digital domain. In terms of me personally, I would want you to know that always hold on to hope. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's always opportunity. Work together to um, liberate each other from old ways of working. There are many people out there have a unique abstract way of viewing life you know don't be despondent take care of your mental health particularly in this lockdown you know go out for a walk even if it's your back garden if you don't have a back garden do some exercise do something yeah hold on to each other love cherish time time is the de facto thing for everybody everything has a season as we're going Mm -hmm. through the autumn going to winter season everything has a season things come to end and um yeah hold on to hope know that hope exists even if you're feeling low hope is out there you know it's a real thing you know without it nothing moves so um yeah be safe
0: that's perfect
2: I
1: like it thank you very much for joining no, us thank you for your time thank you for your time thanks Douglas
0: Thank you to all our listeners who tuned in to today's episode of Sardisms. We had a great time speaking with Douglas and hope you've enjoyed hearing his insights into the future for innovative transformation. You can find out more about Sard by visiting sardjv.co.uk or send us a tweet on Twitter at SardJV and use hashtag Sardisms. Until next time, have a great week.